Danny's helping me install it now. <laughs> Guilty? Are you kidding? Oh, maybe just a little, but I can handle that. I am so tired of waiting for Ed to say the things to me I want to hear. All he ever says is, do you think I'd hand over my hard-earned dollars to someone I didn't love? Yeah, that. Or he'll list his labors of love, like paneling the basement and rototilling the garden, or giving me predictable nights of passion. Yeah, really. Uh-huh, Mondays, Thursdays, birthdays, and national holidays. Mom, gross. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, son. Danny's done. I gotta go, and I will call you tomorrow and let you know how it turns out. Okay. It should all be working. I'm so excited. All you have to do is turn the unit on, stick the receiver on Dad's back, and then press the number for the phrase you want him to say. That's it? That's it. The subliminal message system should be working. Oh, okay. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. Wow, you're pretty wonderful. <laughs> really? Thanks. Uh, here's a list of phrases and their numbers. Wow, I hope this thing works. Can I have some money for the movie tonight? Oh, no, I just gave you money the other day. You're worth it. You're worth it. You know, but you're worth it, honey. Thanks, Mom. Uh -huh. Oh, don't forget this. Hey, d did you? Nope. Oh, well. All right. Ed's going to be here in a minute. All right, unit is on. Now testing subliminal message number one. Oh, what am I doing? I can't hear it, hear it. Ed's the only one that can hear it. Hey, Terry, uh, who are you talking to? Oh, uh, nobody. Uh, sorry, I just didn't hear you come in, honey. Jeez, uh, how was your day? Oh, it was incredibly busy. Oh, yeah. Boy, am I beat. Uh -huh. Did you get the mail? Right here. Oh, great. Traffic was the worst. What's for dinner? Uh, well... How was your day? I hope it's not another lean cuisine night. How was your day? Well, it was really good. I uh, did reading buddies at the school today, and uh, some of those kids are really struggling, so it felt really good to help. Mm, yeah, that's nice. Uh, so what's for dinner? Oh, hey, did you get that estimate for the lawn yet? You look beautiful. You look beautiful. If we take care of it now, it'll look a lot better in the spring. You look beautiful. Thank you, Ed! Oh! And what exactly is so beautiful about me that makes you say that? What? What's so beautiful about me? Oh, um, everything. <laughs> well, I have been doing Zumba class, and I think that's doing me some good, don't you think? Would you look at this? They want to raise our property taxes 18%. All I ever wanted for us was a nice place in the burbs, but I feel like I'm paying for a lakefront estate. So, what's for dinner? It kind of smells like a fish market in here. Uh, flounder Florentine. I love the way you cook and care about our health. Yeah, fight cholesterol, eat dead fish and algae. I love the way you cook and care about our health. Thank you, dear. That's much better. You know, did I mention that the kids are gone to sleepovers? We have the whole night to sit 
and talk all we want. You know, I'll bet they're eating pepperoni pizza right about now. <sighs> Deep dish. So, they're not going to be home at all tonight? No, just you and me. Huh, great. That means that I can uh, finally put up those shelves that you bought for their closet. Oh, you don't have to do that right now. Oh, no, it's the perfect time. I mean, if they're not here, you know, when they're around, they always want to help, and you know how that works out. Besides, you've been wanting me to put them up for months. I've been wanting you to do a lot of things for months. And just what's that supposed to mean? Ed, do you love me? What? R really? Yes, really. Do you love me? Oh, Terry, would I bring my hard-earned paycheck oh, home to somebody that I didn't... just say it. I want to hear you say it. Say what? What's this? No, no, nothing. It's just, it's just my uh, workout remote. Yeah, I, I put it on my waist and it measures my waistline. What do these buttons do? No, don't push the button. You don't push the button. You look beautiful. Oh, I missed you today. Stop it. How was no, your day? Stop you look beautiful. Stop I love it. you. Stop it. I love the way you cook it. and care about art. Stop. Stop saying the things I want to hear. Terry, what's going on? Ed, I've been brainwashing you to say loving things to me. Brainwashed? Yes. Meet subliminal message systems best transmitter. Subliminal messages? I thought they only had that kind of stuff in the movies. I'm sorry. I just wanted to hear you say you loved me. But they're just useless words if you don't mean them. But I do mean these things. Then say them. Say you love me. Terry, I... I, I can't. Oh, no, you don't love me. No, I can't say it. Not on command. It's just not natural. Not natural to tell your wife that you love her? I bring you my paycheck. I paneled the basement. Oh. I even wrote a tilled the garden for you. Hey, uh, what night is this? Well, it's not Thursday. I don't suppose it's a national holiday or my birthday either, is it? No! <sighs> Bummer. Oh, forget it! <sighs> Terry, Terry, wait. Terry, I, I. We all live with expectations in our relationships. That's one of the things that's just true of every relationship you have. Now, today, I'm going to be focusing a lot on marriage relationships. If you're here, and you're not married, uh, rest assured that what I'm going to talk about applies to probably just about every relationship you have. Uh, some of the things I'm going to direct specifically to a marriage, but uh, you'll get some stuff. And if nothing else, you'll get some stuff that you can put into place when you do get married someday. But expectations, huge part of every relationship. And the problem is sometimes those expectations go unmet. And when that happens, there's conflict, there's frustration, there can be all sorts of trouble. If you expect your husband to be this great communicator, but he's more like a stone wall, then that's going to be a problem for you. If you expect your wife to be this five-star chef, but her specialty is macaroni and cheese, then that may be a point of frustration for some of you. If you expect uh, your husband to romance you and to be a, a prince, a knight in shining armor, but he's more like a toad, then again, that's going to create some tension in your relationship. And if your husband expects sex more than, you know, well, what, is, what was it, Mondays, Thursdays, birthdays, and national holidays, 
then that may be an issue for you as well. We all live with expectations. It's human, it's normal, and it's life. And I want to tell you it's okay. It's okay to have expectations. That's not the problem. The problem is what do we do with those expectations? Are they realistic? And how do we deal with when they're not met? How do we deal with unmet expectations that go on for so long that we end up losing that love and feeling? Hard to say that phrase without thinking about Top Gun, huh? You lost that love and feeling. Anyhow, yeah, that was supposed to be a joke. Thank you for the two of you who laughed. What I wanted to consider today, what I want to take a look at is, is it possible to recapture the joy in our relationship? Is it possible to have a healthy, growing, strong relationship even when expectations are unmet, when things don't go the way you want? What do you do when you've lost that love and feeling? I'm going to cover a few things. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Number one, remember that romance is not a permanent state in any long-term relationship and adjust your expectations. Remember that romance is not, listen to me, it is not a permanent state in any long-term relationship, and you need to adjust your expectations. Romance is great. Romance is fun. Romance is hot. It's cool. It's great. I love romance. But you can't live in a state of romantic bliss all the time, indefinitely. It doesn't happen. I hate to break it to you, but life is not like what we watch on the movies sometimes or what we read in romance novels. And did you know that, by the way, there's over a million dollars of romance novels? That's a lot. Every year, over a million bucks spent on romance novels. And what's really sad about that, if you haven't figured this out yet, let me just tell you, they don't reflect reality. They don't reflect the real world, world as, as is, neither does most television or movie programs that we watch. And so we got to deal with this issue of expectations. And one significant step in dealing with our expectations is to determine whether they're reasonable or unreasonable. Are they legitimate or not? Are they realistic or not? And so part of what we have to do is not only be aware that we have expectations, but we need to evaluate them. We need to take an honest look at them. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you're expecting romance 24-7, warm, gushy feelings all the time in your relationship, then it's not reasonable or realistic to expect that. Many years ago, probably about 25 years ago now, my wife and I went for some marriage counseling. And let me just insert... It's a smart thing to do. If you need help, you get help. And we've got an incredible marriage mentoring program here and, and, and pastors and counselors, and we can refer you. There's, it's good to get help when you need it. And we were at a state in our relationship where we were just fighting all the time, not being very nice to each other, not enjoying the, the marriage a whole lot. And we determined we need some objective help. We need a third party to help us out. And we sat down with a woman who was a counselor, and she drew this circle for us. Now, I have, I've shown you this before. If you've been a part of our church, you've probably seen this a few times. Uh, it's always a good reminder. Until you can do it and remember it well enough to write it on a napkin for a friend, you haven't seen it enough. But for some of you, this is going to be the first time you've ever seen this, and some light bulbs are going to go on. Because when she drew this for us, it was like, oh, aha, I get it, I see it. And she called it the four recurring stages of covenant love. Now, one of the key phrases there is covenant love. God's love, covenant love, committed love. The love that says, I vow to, to, to stick with you to, through, until death do us part. It's a love that's, that is godly love that, that he works through us in our marriage. But she drew this circle with these four stages of covenant love. Let me just walk through them with you real quickly. It's on your outline to be on the screen. The first stage is romance. We're talking about that. And it's where most relationships, marriage relationships, start. It's where you're attracted, madly attracted to that person. You think about them all the time. You doodle their name. You can't wait to pick up the phone and call them. 
You drive by their house. You stalk them. You do all sorts of things just because you love and you, you are madly, passionately in love with this person. They can do no wrong. They're the best that's ever come along. And it's romance. And it's great. And it's a good place for a relationship to start. But as I said, it's not a permanent state in any relationship. Because following romance always comes this next stage. And it's trouble. Something happens. The unexpected takes place. Financial issues. Physical issues. Relational stuff. She doesn't, you know, turn out to be what you thought. He doesn't do what you thought. There's this trouble. Things don't always go the way we expect them to go. And there's tension and there's conflict. Often, again, because of unmet expectations. In fact, I'm going to suggest that, think about the last fight you had, again, whether you're married, with a friend, your parents, your kids, I'd be willing to bet you that the majority of you, that last big blowout you had, comes back to that word expectations, back to the E word, an unmet expectation. Well, what do we do? Well, we're in this trouble. Things happen, and, and it's not what we expected. What that always leads to is this bottom of the circle, this valley of disillusionment. Or it could be called the valley of the shadow of death. And it's a difficult time because the bubble is burst. The romance is gone. You may not even like that person, let alone love them at that moment. And you are in this place right now where you're thinking, oh, my goodness, this isn't what I signed up for. Where's the hot stuff? Where's the romantic stuff? And what about 50% of our culture does? They bail at that point. They, they're looking for a romance and they're, they're, if they, they think that that's what they have to have all the time to be happy, to have a good relationship. And so they bail there looking for romance in all the wrong places. And that's not realistic. That's not a good way to live. Disillusionment is that valley. The, the, the key here is when you get there is that you remain. That's why it's called covenant love. You remain committed to that relationship. You remember the vows you made before God and your friends and your family. To love this person until death do you part. To stay committed and you stay the course. The key to success in this is in the valley of disillusionment, you stay the course. Based on covenant love for one another. Now here's what's cool. When you do that, when you work through it, and by the way, you get the help you need. I'm not saying you just stay miserable. I'm saying you get help, you get support, you stay the course in your committed relationship. And then what always comes after that is the season of joy. And let me just explain to you, joy is not the result of, oh, everything's perfect again. Everything's good now. Joy may not have anything to do with happy circumstances. You may still have the same trouble that got you to the valley of disillusionment in the first place. But joy is the result of that stick to that perseverance. Joy is the result of, you know what, even though we went through this incredibly difficult, hard, ugly time, we held it together. We stuck it out. We persevered. And the result of that is joy. Wow. I, I, I see now how committed you are to me, how much you love me, how much you care about us. And joy is the result. And here's the cool part. Ready? Guess what joy leads to? Woohoo! Joy always takes you back to romance. Joy always leads back to that season. Again, it's not indefinite. It's not a, it's not a, a, a forever season, but another season of romance. And here's the thing. It's a cycle. And you may go through microcosms of this in one day. You may get up and think he's the greatest guy in the world by breakfast. My goodness, I can't believe you did that. Oh, my goodness, what have I done here with you? You're such an idiot. And yet, okay, well, we're going to work through this. There's joy and then it's back. You may go through this cycle multiple times in one day. More often, it may be days or weeks, maybe even months, potentially even years. The key is understanding 
that these are normal cycles that you go through. In the course of life together, the truth is this is normal. Romance does not last forever. Adjust your expectations. Stop looking for that warm, fuzzy, hot feeling all the time because that's only going to get you in trouble with somebody else that you're not married to. And that's not God's plan. It's not realistic. It's not real. Trouble comes. That's adjust your expectation. I have never met anybody who hasn't had, anybody here not have, ever have trouble in their life? Yeah, we all have trouble. And we all have trouble in our relationships. Adjust your, adjust your expectations. Valley of disillusionment, it will come. Maybe more often than you want, it will come. And when it does, adjust your expectations. Stay the course. The secret to survival is to not bail when you're in the trouble season or when you're in the disillusionment valley, but to walk through that valley of the shadow of death because of covenant love. There's no magic wand to making marriage work, guys. Just work. And if you're sitting here single, thinking about getting married someday, or if you've been married, like my wife and I have almost 37 years, I promise you, I guarantee you, there is no magic wand, no silver bullet, no one single secret key to having a happy relationship. It's work. Somebody told me after the first service, great word picture, that it's like riding a bicycle. Unless you're coasting downhill, you always got to pedal. You've always got to work. And I would suggest the coasting downhill, that's the romance time. Woo! But other than that, most of the time you're working, and there's always a little bit of sweat involved. There's no magic wand. There's just work. And pity the fool who thinks romance is an indefinite state of being. It's not, it's not going to be forever. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.1, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. It's just the way it is. For everything there is a season. Life is filled with seasons. In Proverbs 11.29, Solomon wrote this, Whoever brings ruin on, his, on their family will inherit only the wind. They've got nothing. And the fool will be the servant to the wise. I want to challenge you this morning. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else, remember this circle today. Walk out of here, understand this, and understand a wise person understands this cycle and that it's normal, it's expected, and adjust your expectations to live there, not in the unreal world of always having romantic bliss. Well, let me land a little bit more on this issue of trouble because it's so common to all of us. What do you do when you've lost that love and feeling? Number two, see reality for what it is. Everyone has issues. Everybody has got issues. If you're in a relationship with a breathing person, they will fail you from time to time. They will let you down. They will sin against you. It's human nature. Well, I'm a, shouldn't we be getting better? Yeah. Well, as Christians, should, yeah, yeah, yeah. But none of us are going to be perfect until we go to be with Jesus or he comes to take us home. We all have issues. We all have stuff. And by the way, that includes you. We all have failure that we have to deal with. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23. Everyone has sinned. No one measures up to God's glory. Everyone has sinned. We've all failed. And nobody measures up to the, the ultimate standard. I had a guy come to me quite a few years ago, and uh, he sat in my office, and he was so frustrated. He was going on and on and on about his wife. She doesn't cook the way she used to cook. She doesn't clean the house anymore. She doesn't you know, give me any attention. You know, our sex life is horrible. Went on and on and on and on and on and on, just moaning and groaning and complaining about his wife. Finally, I had all I could. I just said, time out. I literally just, take wait a minute. I said, let me ask you a question. How about you? Where are some things in the marriage that you need to work on? What are your weaknesses? And I'll never forget it because he gave me this dumbfounded look of shock. 
Well, I, I'm not here to talk about me. I want you to help me fix my wife. My wife's the one with all the problems. And I said, boy, I got some, some news for you. We all have baggage. We all have issues. Every one of us do. We all do. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have something they need to work on. Like I said, we all have baggage. It might be carry-on size, but we all have baggage nonetheless. Here's the truth. Ready? All men are difficult at times. Can I get an amen, ladies? Guys, all women are complicated occasionally. Can I get an amen? Amen. How come the guys are so much louder than the ladies? (laughs) All men. If I could just find the perfect guy. Listen, he does not exist. If I could just find the perfect woman. Listen, she does not exist. Maybe in a romance novel, maybe on a movie, but not in the real world. And so why do we get so self-righteous and so quick to condemn others and worry about the speck of sawdust in their eyes while we're ignoring the two-by-four, the beam in ours? I don't have the time to deal with it today, but Jesus dealt with this in Matthew chapter 7. And it's a very in-your-face teaching, really, by Jesus. And you're worrying about the speck of sawdust in your you know, friend, brother, wife, sister, husband, child's eyes, and you're ignoring the beam, the two-by-four, the telephone pole that's in yours. And the point Jesus is making is work on you first. I want you to imagine what might change in your relationships at large, across the board. And imagine with me, if you're married, what might happen in your marriage if you truly focus first on your character and their needs rather than their needs and Uh, I mean, their character and your needs. Let me say it again. I'll make sure you get it. What would happen? Imagine what it would be like in your relationship, in your marriage, if you focus first on their needs and your character rather than their character and your needs. That's a radical way to live. And it's a healthy way to live. When Laura and I went through marriage counseling, the counselor gave us a homework assignment. I think it was the first or second week. She said, I want you to go home. And I want you to individually grab a piece of paper. I want you to write out all the things you like or love about the other person. And so I was supposed to write all the things I like and love about Laura. And then she says, and then I want you to write all the things that you personally need to work on. Your character flaws, your, your personal stuff. And notice what she did. She didn't say write all the things you like about your wife and all the things you don't like. Uh-uh. List all the things you like and love about her. And then list all the things that you No, you need to work on personal issues, character flaws in you. And it was a powerful exercise because here's what happens when you do that. Number one, it gives you a different perspective. Instead of thinking about all the things that are wrong with your spouse, you know, and my wife, it was amazing how long the list of great things was about her. Yeah, we were having tension. There were things going on, things I I, I wasn't happy about. But there's so many great things, and to list that, and then to list you know, the list of her great qualities was pretty long. Guess what? The list of things I need to work on was pretty long too. And it shifts your perspective. It also brings some humility to your relationship. I found out that she's not as bad as I thought she was, and I'm not as good as I thought I was. It's a, it's a healthy exercise. Learn to focus on your spouse's needs and your character first rather than the other way around. That's true in all the relationships. I promise you it'll make a difference. Here's the last one. What do we do when we've lost that number of feeling? Number three, do the things you did at first, but even better. Do the things you did at first, but even better. Often, over time, we become forgetful. Or maybe just a little lazy. 
we just, you know, we don't really think about it, but we just stop doing some of the things we used to do. Over time, we begin to take perhaps our spouse or our friendships for granted. Yeah, 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 you know, we've been married for decades. Ah, it's not a big a deal, you know. Yeah, 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 it's, it, it, we, we just take them for granted. Sometimes over, over the course of time, we neglect to do the very things we used to do that demonstrated early on in our relationship the care, affection, and love that we had for that person. And I, I, again, I'd be willing to bet that I don't care what your personality type is like. For instance, maybe you're not really a very emotional guy. You're kind of a stoic, quiet person. Nope, nothing wrong with that. And that's the way God wired you. That's, that's good. But I'd be willing to bet that in the courting phase, in the romance stage, in that early part of your relationship, you talked a lot more than maybe you do now. Or you were engaging more than you perhaps are now. That you've withdrawn to this comfort level of really, I'll just be honest, a little bit of laziness. Because when you were trying to woo her, isn't that a great word? I love the word woo. When you're trying to woo her, when you're trying to win her, you were engaging and you did more. And maybe, ladies, just to pick on you for a moment, maybe there's some things that you used to do that in the early stage, I mean, you would never let him see you without makeup on. Or you would never, you know, serve him macaroni and cheese. And, but, you know, it's like, you know what, there's a frozen dinner in the freezer. Help yourself. Maybe there's things that we've grown accustomed to not paying attention to over time. And I don't think generally it's intentional. I don't think it's mean or vindictive. I really don't think somebody's, I'm going to stop doing that just to show him. Generally, it's just we forget. And we stop caring about the simple and the little things that may not be so simple or little to our spouse. He used to open the doors for me. Now it's every man and woman for himself. It's raining. Get your own door. (laughs) She used to write me little love notes and put them in my briefcase or my lunch bag. I can't remember the last time she did that. He used to hold my hand in public. He used to show public affection for me, and now it's like we're just two strangers walking down the street. She used to wear those hot little nighties. Now it's flannel, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> little things that we may not think are that big a deal, but we were paying close attention to them early on, especially in the romance stage. Now, I just said earlier, romance is not a permanent state. You think, well, I'll do that when I feel romantic. No, here's my suggestion. I think that we, we need to do always, in every stage, in every cycle, romance, trouble, disillusionment, joy, we need to get good at doing these things to, to show the love, appreciation, affection, the admiration we have for others. And those things all too often have stopped or they drift from, from our, our, our experience, and they shouldn't. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia thousands of years ago. And what he wrote was a general admonition. I don't think he was specifically thinking about marriage when he wrote what I'm about to read to you. But the principle absolutely applies to our marriage. It applies to every relationship. certainly applies to the one you have with your spouse. It's found in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. So, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. See, I think Paul got it. Sometimes we just get tired. We grow weary. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will, we will, that's the promise, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we stay the course, we'll reap a blessing. Verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, I hear in that an intentionality, an aggressiveness almost. Whenever, as often as you can, whenever you have opportunity, we should do good to everyone. I'm including my spouse. I want you to include yours. 
We should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Our natural human tendency is we grow weary in well-doing. We just get tired. And I, I get that. I understand that. But Paul says don't give up. Keep going. Stay the course. Even when you don't feel like it, do good. Don't give up. Remember the cycle of covenant love. And in every stage, bless your spouse and do good to them, even when it's not real easy to do it. In fact, I want to suggest to you that when we do it in the trouble season or in the disillusionment season, that's when that sacrifice of love may mean even more to our spouse. When they know we're not in romance, when things aren't hot and passionate and not so cool, but you still are demonstrating honor, affection, love, kindness, goodness to your spouse. I think in those moments, those times, those seasons of difficulty, and we do that, that that is an even greater gift because it's a gift of sacrifice. I want to cover five things this morning that you can do, good things you can do for your spouse. And the truth is, uh, these I didn't, they didn't originate with me. In fact, uh, I believe Gary Chapman wrote a book called Five Love Languages. Great book. He takes a lot more time to cover this in depth. I'm just going to bulletproof uh, point through it and walk through it pretty quickly. But these five love languages, what they've identified are five different ways that we can show love, demonstrate love, uh, express love to our spouse. And Gary's uh, premise, and I agree with him, is that probably one or two of these in particular are really important to your spouse. Not all five would be equally of value to your spouse. One of them is really going to be something, yeah, that's me. When that happens, boy, you fill my tank up fast. That really makes me have all sorts of good, warm feelings. I like that more than the others. That's common. That's normal. I think one or two of these of the five I'm going to mention are your spouse's particular love language. But I still think, I, I contend that all of these are something we need to work on. All of these are things that we need to get good at, and all of these are things that we can do to show good to our spouse. Here's the first one, letter A. Love them through words of encouragement and appreciation. Love them through your words. Words are very powerful in every relationship. A few weeks ago, we talked about dysfunctional relationships. I said one of the ways to, to end up in a dysfunctional relationship real quick is to have potty mouth, to, to, have, to have putrid speech, to speak ugliness, to puke all over people with our words. And the Bible says there's power of life and death in the tongue, that we have the ability with our words to build up or to tear down. And if your spouse's love language happens to be words of encouragement, appreciation, then when you say something mean or harsh, it really hurts even deeper. But when you say something that blesses them and affirms them and appreciates them, it's like, wow, thank you. That means a lot to me. Words are powerful. And some people are best fed, blessed, encouraged through words of affirmation, affection, and appreciation. Words are important. Here's the second one, letter B. Love them through small gifts of gratitude. Small gifts of gratitude. Somebody said, well, is that kind of, you're not like buying somebody's love? No, not at all. If your spouse's love language is gifts, you don't have to, I'm not talking about going out and buying a Beamer or spending thousands of dollars on them all the time. Certainly not, you know, suggesting you go into debt. I'm just saying small gifts, small tokens of appreciation can go a long ways with someone who actually, that's their love language. Guys, you can, you can, for $6.99, I know, because I do it on a fairly regular basis, bring them a bouquet of mixed flowers from Safeway, and it will bless you, and not just on Valentine's or birthday or Mondays, Thursdays, national holidays. <laughs> you can just bring flowers home just because. Let's say your husband's favorite candy bar is a Butterfinger, 
and, and you know, you, you just thought of him, and you, you picked one up, and you'd said, honey, and it's a simple thing. A 99-cent candy bar could say, sweetheart, I thought of you when I was at the store today. I bought you something special. Now, don't give it to me if he's on a diet. But other than that, <laughs> it can be a blessing. Small tokens, small gifts of gratitude. One way we can show our love. The third one, letter C, love them through simple acts of service. Simple acts of service. I've often said in teaching on relationships that great sex begins in the kitchen. And when I say that, usually the guys go, they go way out where I'm not going. Gentlemen, what I mean by that is through acts of service that you can do things. In your house, for instance, let's say you do the trash and the lawn and she does the dishes. That's kind of the way our house is. Well, you can bless your wife. If, if her love language is an act of service, surprise the heck out of her one day by doing the dishes, emptying the dishwasher, mopping the kitchen floor, doing something. Find a way to just say, I thought of you today, and I, did, and I, I want to do this just because I love you. And if her love language is an act of service, woo, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be well-received. My wife, uh, fairly regular basis, and, and I, uh, it's just a simple thing, but she vacuums out the car. And every time she does that, I just go, honey, you're the greatest. Because I hate vacuuming, and I hate vacuuming the car in particular. And just that she would do that. You know, it's like, honey, thank you, sweet. That's awesome. Simple acts. These aren't really complicated things, but simple ways of saying, you mean the world to me. Galatians 5.13, Paul again said, serve one another humbly in love. And again, that's an admonition to every relationship we have. I'm applying it in your marriage. Absolutely true. Serve your spouse humbly in love. And watch the fruit of that. 1 John 3, 18, John said, Dear children, don't just talk about love. Words are important. But he said, don't just talk about love. Put love, your love, into action. Then it will truly be love. Demonstrate your love. Here's another one, letter D. Love them through physical, here it is, gentlemen, pay attention, non-sexual touch. Physical, non-sexual touch. Gentlemen, most women, most women want affection simply for affection's sake. It is not a precursor to something else. It's not foreplay for them. It, 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 will, it will mean a lot to them if it's just selfless, tender, loving care. When you hold her hand, when you caress her, when, and maybe, it's, maybe that's his love. Like, a lot of guys, that's their love. And if you, you know, I had a conversation oh, about four or five months ago with somebody, and I talked a little bit about this in another setting, and they said, well, uh, you know, the woman said to me, well, I'm not very physical. I don't really, I'm not comfortable with that. I said, well, how's your husband? Oh, man, he's a hugger. And I said, then hug him. Find opportunity every time you can. Give him a hug. I know it might be, that's a sacrificial gift of love for you. Ways that we can demonstrate through simple acts of, of, of physical, non-sexual touch. Selfless, tender, loving care. And one more, letter E. Love them through the gift of quality time. Not just time, but quality time. For my wife, this is one that's very important to her. means a lot to her. It's why I give her, uh, as a general rule, she gets my Mondays. I don't even turn my phone on on Mondays. If you die on Monday, you're going to get Pastor Tom. You're not going to get me. <laughs> Quality time means a lot to her. I can hardly wait for the weather to warm up enough so that we can take walks. She loves to take a walk. To, for me to take a walk with her for 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes and hold her hand and talk is, you know, it's, it's, it's money. It's, it's golden. She loves it. Quality time is one way we can express our love for someone that's important to us. Invest in the relationship. These are five ways 
Five things that we can do that are good things for our spouse. A couple weeks ago, when we started this series, I reminded you of what Jesus taught in Matthew 7. We call it the golden rule. That's not what he called it, but it's, it's found in Matthew 7, verse 12. Treat others as you want them to treat you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And really, when it comes right down to it, when we talk about doing good for our spouse, we talk about blessing them, that's really what it boils down to. Do for them what you would want for you. Now, their love language may be different than yours, but if you want your love language fed, you want that to happen in your life, then discover that and do that. And here's a little homework assignment. Go ask your spouse. Talk about it today. What, what, what are those five? Which one really? That, yeah, that's what I really like. Maybe one or two. What's your love language? Discover that and practice that in your relationship. If you want to rekindle passion and recapture the joy in your relationship, if you want to really look like the marriage that God wants you to look like, to be in the relationship he wants you to be in, then remember the seasons, the cycle of covenant love, and that, that's normal in every relationship. Embrace the reality that no one is perfect, not even you, and find ways to do the things you did at first, simple things that communicate to your spouse, you mean the world to me. And so here's your Valentine mission, should you choose to accept it. Go find ways to love each other the way God loves you. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you demonstrated your love for us by sending your son to die for us, that while we were still sinners, the Bible says you sent Jesus for us. And that's so powerful, God, because what it says to us is that you didn't wait for us to get our act together. You didn't wait for us to change our attitude. You didn't wait for us to, to figure it all out. You loved us first. In fact, John says we, we love because you first loved us. We have the capacity to love you because you first loved us. And while we were far from you, God, you demonstrated your love by the greatest sacrifice ever. You sent your one and only son. And so what sacrifice is too great for us to make? If we're going to follow you, if we're going to be like our Father in heaven, if we're going to be like our Lord Jesus, then God, we need to be willing to sacrifice, to give, to love as we've been loved. And I pray that you'd burn that into our hearts and our souls today. I know, Lord, that there are people in this room right now or people watching online that are struggling in their marriage. They're in that valley of disillusionment and they have been thinking about pulling the plug and bailing. I pray right now, God, that you'd remind them that where they're at is not that abnormal and that that's not a place they have to stay. And that, it's, it's, that you, God, want to do good in them and through them that you'll help them in the midst of their struggle. Father, I pray that you'd show us your heart. Give us your heart and help us to love the way you love. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've not started your life as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus yet. But you realize something's happened this morning even. Maybe it's recently, but a light's gone on. And you get it. You understand now you need God. You need a Savior. Maybe you're in trouble. Maybe you're in struggle. Maybe you think things are going pretty good. But a light has gone on. And, and that light, that revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. By the way, we talk about wooing our spouses. The Holy Spirit's been wooing you. He's been reaching out to you. He's been trying to reveal to you his love and his life and his power and his forgiveness and his grace. And if, that is, if that's happened and you understand that today and you're ready, you're willing to say, God, I need you, I want you, and I surrender my life to you, then I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And what's important is what you choose to do with this right now. You can make this prayer yours. You can make my words yours. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you choose to, right here, right now, you, be, you can begin your life as a Christian, as a Christ follower, by making this simple prayer yours. 
Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I've failed, and I know now I see it. I need a Savior. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. And so I come to you this morning finally surrendering, finally giving my life to you. God, I've tried it my way, and I've made a mess of things, and it's not going so good. And and I see that right now I get it. You love me. You've always loved me. And I respond to that love right now by giving you my life, my heart, my all, my past, my present, my future. I give it all to you. I surrender to you. And I ask now for your life to fill me. I receive your forgiveness and your grace right now. Seems too good to be true, but I receive it in Jesus' name. If that's you, I want to encourage you. What you need to do is just say, yes, God, that's what I want. And the instant you do, the Bible says you cross that line of faith from darkness into light, from a non-believer to a believer. It's a long journey, lots of things that have to happen. I know, but you've, you've made the greatest, most important decision in your life, and it began with you saying yes to the Father right now. Lord, for those that have said that, made that choice, whether they're here or watching later, I pray, God, that you would seal in their hearts what you are going to do, what you've done, and the promise that you've made to them to help them get where you want them to be. Show them, Lord, the depth of your love. Even now, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Ushers are going to come now. We finish our service with a closing song, and we're going to pass the little bags. Uh, this is the opportunity for you for visiting to drop that visitor uh, tear-off tab in there, prayer request in there. And we give. We give because God's given to us. People say, well, why, why do you do this? Because it's another opportunity for us to, to worship God, to love Him, and to show our love to Him as we give back in reflection, reflection of what He's done for us. So let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Listen, a few things before you go. Number one, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you coming. And if you came today and, and you began your life as a Christ follower, now you're thinking, man, it's just too good to be true. Is that it? No, there's a long journey, a lot more. I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Come tell me. We want to bless you, support you. There's a, a by the tables to the right of the doors as you walk out. It's a package that's for new Christians on it. Pick that up. It's got a Bible and some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Let us walk with you. This is the beginning of the greatest journey you've ever been on. It's a journey that'll take you into eternity. Another thing is, if you need prayer, prayer team would be down front. Prayer room's not finished yet, so prayer team is down here. Communion on both sides of the room. Two more things real quick. One, concert tickets back there. Guys, let's get them, and let's bring people to that thing in March. It's going to be awesome. Great bringer and includer event. And the last thing I want you to do is, if you need help, some of you in your, in your I, I can see it on some of your faces, your marriage is struggling. And I say this in jest sometimes. I'm serious when I say it this time. Brian at eastpointchurch.org. He's our marriage and family pastor. And if you need help, you need somebody to, to step in, we can re- refer you out or we can get you some support. Email Brian. We want to support you in your marriage. We want to help. So Brian at eastpointchurch.org. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for coming today. Have a great week walking with Jesus.